Welcome to the Faith Locker, where veterans can find the tools they need to live out their faith. I'm Steve Smith, your host. Join me as we use Jesus' parables as our guide to explore our shared experiences and their impact on our lives after active service. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Faith Locker, a period of reflection dedicated to those who have worn the cloth of the nation as members of the U.S. Armed Forces. I'm Steve Smith, your host for the series. In each episode, I'll be joined by a fellow veteran who lives their Catholic faith by example. Today, my guest is retired U.S. Army Colonel David L., the Chief Operating Officer of Catholic Charities of Central Florida. Welcome, Colonel. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. (laughs) Shall we start with a prayer? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray that our voices may be heard by veterans of the United States military who are in need of your mercy. May your holy grace fill their hearts and lead them to full appreciation of the gifts offered by their Catholic faith. We also ask that those who serve our veterans receive your abundant blessings for their service. We ask all of this in the name of Christ, your Son. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Before we get started, I just want to just do a quick a statement of purpose about you know, why this podcast exists and, and why we're here today. The New Testament is full of references to soldiers. Jesus was arrested by soldiers in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was scourged by soldiers. Soldiers pulled down the crown of thorns on top of his head, and soldiers escorted him as he carried his cross to Calvary. In this respect, and in many respects, the military represented the cruelty of those who opposed Jesus's message. More importantly, though, soldiers also represent the redemptive power of faith in Jesus's message. A soldier at the foot of the cross recognized this power and was forever changed by it. And a soldier's words are part of the Holy Mass, as it was a Roman centurion who uttered, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but say the word and my soul shall be healed. The Faith Locker podcast is here to offer encouragement to Catholic veterans as they seek the redemptive power of Christ's message in their own lives, using Jesus' parables as our discussion guide. As I mentioned earlier, Colonel David L., the COO of Catholic Charities of Central Florida, is my guest today. Welcome again, Colonel. Uh, Could you give us a quick rundown of your background, sir? Absolutely. No problem. Thanks again for having me on the show. So I was commissioned in 1990. I went to the Citadel. That's where I met my lovely wife. Matter of fact, works downstairs at the foundation. She's also a part of... uh, She's also part of the chancery. And the Citadel, for those of you who are, are, are uninformed, is the uh, the Military College of South Carolina. That's correct. correct? That right. is correct. Yep. And I met her while while going to college there. From there, we, we went across the world. Uh, first assignment was Germany. We've been to Italy, Fort Sill, where, where we have a common bond with, uh, yes, with one another. Yes, sir. Uh, that's where you were born, right, That's where Steve? I was born. I was born in a Fort Sill <laughs> Army Hospital. Uh, so, so the Colonel and I share a, share a relationship in that regard. So I was uh, an artilleryman, of course. That's why Fort Sill. Spent most of my time actually in the 18th Airborne Corps, which is the light artillery of the Army, uh, jumping out of airplanes, being a part of the 101st. I also, you know, most proudly, I'm married to my wife, my lovely wife, Carolyn. I have three children. My oldest is actually the director of youth ministry over at Bishop Moore High School. Okay, and then uh, my son's a second lieutenant, actually first lieutenant now, married to another first lieutenant stationed at Fort Bliss, Texas. And my youngest goes to Xavier University and is a senior right now. Oh, my God. I'm telling you, this guy, he doesn't look old <laughs> enough to have these children uh, of this age. So, Well, thank you for that. So as I mentioned earlier, our goal here is to take the parables, Jesus' parables. We think they are uh, a fine way to discuss how 
Catholic military veterans can be more engaged in their faith. And today, we're going to consider the parable of the wandering sheep, not the lost sheep. I've been misstating that to others who are, are probably listening today. This is from Matthew chapter 18, verse 12 through 14. Jesus said, What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. The series will have, we'll have a different parable for every episode, but this one I thought was particularly good for the first episode because if you've listened to the previous podcast, when I spent time with Deacon Joe Gassman, we talked about this. We talked about how it's not just your active duty service that could create some spiritual wounds, but also those things that you do when you're not on post, when you're not on the ship, when you're not performing the functions of your, of your military occupation. So, David, what I wanted to do was have each of us talk about, in both an operational setting and a non-operational setting, where we've had that experience, where we've had that sheep wander off, and what we've done about it and why. And I'm going to bring it all together with, you know, sort of a, an overarching statement about the military and the community of the military and how that's similar to our Catholic community. So, first of all, in an operational setting, do you have an example of a situation where somebody got left behind or was in danger of leave, being left behind and, and you had to go find them? I think one of the things that is, resonates really well with the Army is, is, the, is the warrior ethos and also the Ranger Creed. And what it has in there is, I will never leave a fallen comrade. I think that is inculcated in us from the very beginning, from the date you, you know, either enter boot camp or you're commissioned, you learn how important that is. And it, it resonates within the Army because people know no matter what happens to you, even if you have to make the ultimate sacrifice where you give your life, we're still going to get those remains and we're going to bring them back. It's really important. And you're right. So, so sometimes you can see people wandering and it, it's hard for them to understand why they're wandering. In pop culture, I think an example would be, I think it was in uh, We Were Soldiers where he gets off the helicopter. We Were Soldiers once again. We Were, ho- we were Soldiers. And he, Hal Moore. Yeah. Hal Moore gets off the helicopter and says, I'll be the first one on the field and the last one to leave it. Absolutely. And that's a great movie. So, you know, he's a battalion commander and goes into the helicopter landing zone. And I guess, you know, they're, they're fighting a force the size of a regiment. And he's a battalion. So, you know, it's four to one odds and continues to get that high. But but you're right. You know, we could break that whole movie down and talk about the leadership and, and the wandering people. But what was interesting is that is that lieutenant from the Lost Platoon, right? The Lost Platoon where he goes out and, you know, the book leads you to believe and, of course, we don't know him personally, but he was really all about getting a medal and making himself look good. And he rushes out there, and next thing you know, that whole platoon is cut off. And it's devastating. I mean, the platoon gets decimated because of those, because of those decisions. But how more? He knows that that's important for them to get to that. No matter what he has to do, he's going to get some type of force out there to bring back whoever is still alive to come and, back. And you have a similar situation, right. your personal experience? I, I will say one of the experiences that we had – so I was a task force commander in host Afghanistan. And if you look at it, so it's the beak on the east side of Afghanistan that sticks out near Peshawar. And it's a really, it's a really bad place, but it's very mountainous too. So you can, you stay, you're about 3000 feet and you go 10,000 feet and above. What happened was we had a platoon that went up there and it was so remote that they were absolutely out of communications. Couldn't talk to anybody that 
regular radios that people use to push the so talk. So like Lone Survivor where they lost they lost comms. Yeah, absolutely. There was lost comms. And even, to be honest with you, even the satellite communications were hard. And there's a, there's a thing that's called the Blue Force Tracker, the GPS system, but also allows you the text messages. So it also provides a location. Out of all the multiple systems that we had out there, that was the only one that was working. And within our tactical operations center, we get this call that comes back in and it says, help, 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 under attack. Oh. So we had lost complete communications with them. That whole platoon come to find out that what happened is, is as they were going up, they were into this channelized area surrounded by mountains and a Taliban force around this platoon, probably hundred to 150 had set up on the high ground and were actually shooting RPGs down and shooting small arms. They took out the first vehicle, which was a Afghan national army vehicle up front, took that out. And basically everything was blocked. RPGs were going in and, and we actually lost the company executive officer during that engagement. Very hard loss as they all are. We got that help, help, help. And we had to send up helicopters to, just to get up there, just to make communications and also to engage the Taliban that were up there. It was an incredible day of where we had the medevac people out, and I was putting ammo inside the medevac vehicles, kicking it out because they were just going black on ammo. What that means is, is that they were actually going down, so they had no ammo, right? So when you say you're black on ammo, that means you don't have anything left. So we were constantly sending up medevacs, constantly sending up ammunition because they stayed engaged. And we actually, it was such a, a, an area, we couldn't get them out. I, I did fly up there. And got on the ground and everything else because it was it was that important. But you had that commitment that, to get them in and out. We did. And we actually, what we had to do is I had to send up mechanics up there to break the vehicles down. We had to get wrenches out and we had to take the armored doors off the vehicles. We had to take the turrets off the doors. We had to have Chinooks piece by piece take out the Humvees because... That was the only way to get them out. Isn't that one of those ranger school things where you like take stuff apart and, and carry it around? Yeah, exactly and what so it was. That, right? Thank so, God for that, right? Yeah, but th- that was the commitment of everybody in that organization that I was a part of to make sure that we went up there and we got everybody back. Right. So I'm going to ask you a, a sort of an ethereal question here, not not necessarily a, a factual question. Is that that there's that sense of fraternal love, right? Like you mm-hmm. you love those people like they're your own family at that point, right? So, interesting, that unit that I was with, and has everybody seen the Banner Brothers series? Yes. It's the 506 Curahees. So that was the organization that I was actually in during that time. So it was truly a band of brothers, and that resonated throughout our organization that no matter what, we had this long history and lineage that started back in World War II, and we knew that we are a band of brothers, and we're not going to leave anybody behind, no matter what it takes. So it really meant a lot to us to be a part of that historic organization. So, and I'll just give you mine, which is much less dramatic. It was a man overboard, uh, a real one. So we practiced that. For those of you who have ever served at sea who are listening, you know that the Oscar, when Oscar goes over the side, the Oscar flag is what you fly when there's a man overboard. Five short blasts. You turn away from the side the person went over, and you go as fast as you can to pick them up. Well, in this particular instance, we were connected to another ship. USS Wichita. I I can remember exactly where it was and who it was. And Wichita was interesting because they would have a band play on the forecastle during the the refueling at sea. That was their thing. That was their calling card. We had a a seaman. Uh, He was not a deck seaman. He was a a technician of some sort. And he got tangled up in a line and he got pulled over the side in the middle of a, a refueling. Well, there's a Venturi effect between the ships that in most cases will drag somebody under and it's not a good outcome. 
So you got to make an immediate decision on what to do. And you practice emergency breakaways all the time. You practice man overboard all the time. And I'm standing up there and the CO is looks at me, who's he's a Vietnam riverboat veteran. And he just kind of like shrugs, like, you're going to do something or what? And I said, okay. Eh, eh, eh. And we did the breakaway, emergency breakaway. And fortunately for the gentleman, he got picked up by another ship before I got there. But as he was passing by on the port side, he was giving me some choice words from the water, uh, <laughs> <Sure>. profanity-laced uh, <laughs> instructions about not to leave him behind. So we, uh, of course, this is the Navy, uh, and we, we didn't leave him behind. So we actually had to break away from a refueling. There to was go. 440 guys on the frigate that I was on Absolutely. to go pick up one guy. And we would have done that. But not right. Who it was. We had to do it. in the water and you got to get them. And, and the captain looked at me like, are you going to do it or not? Yeah, like, yeah well, what's wrong with you? So I was like, okay, all right. <laughs> all right, so that's my, my operational setting. How about non-operational setting? How about off-duty, off-post? Have you had wandering souls that you've had to go and, uh, and try to resolve issues with? I think there's – that's a constant, to be honest. And I think a lot of people struggle in the military. And I think that's one of the reasons, you know, sobering thought, but one of the reasons why you have such a high number of suicides right now across the military that's going on. I think people are struggling right now with why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? What's the higher purpose and everything else? And a lot of times we put a lot of effort into it to make sure that we give somebody a purpose and they understand why they are here. And I think that gets them out of that. Do you think that's like one of the biggest struggles is once you're done with the stress of, of active duty, regardless of where you serve, you say you don't want it anymore, but you actually kind of do want it. Like you want to have that constant activity, that constant planning for the next thing. There is, right? So I think in the military, you have that regimented sense. Your schedule is set every day. You're, you're used, to, used to that, and you're probably you have the closest friends you're ever going to have because you've been through combat and you've seen the worst and you've seen the best of people. And that bond is something that's built and can't be built anywhere else. No matter where you work in the military, you build that bond with your fellow people. And 50 and, years from now, you'll still have it. And you'll still have it. Exactly. Yeah. You can call somebody up and you went to combat when and say, Hey, I, I need help right now. And they're, they're going to come help you. And it's that bond that's built. And you're right. So if you ever break away from that bond, you start getting away from that bond, you feel empty inside. I was fortunate enough on Saturday to uh, be the guest speaker for the First Marine Division Association. They're, I guess it's bi-monthly luncheon. Mm -hmm. You know, the Marines are, are really good about celebrating the sort of esprit de corps. Uh, Absolutely. And so they always recognize the oldest Marine. Well, if he's listening today, I hope he's listening. Elmer Hawkins was the oldest Marine, 96 years old, a veteran of Guadalcanal. And there are still living veterans from Guadalcanal, and they meet every year. At Camp Pendleton. So, I mean, that doesn't ever go away. So for me, it's an unfortunate side effect, I think, of, of uh, the, the times in which I served was we had a significant number of substance abuse issues. Right. There's one in particular that I'll, I'll share, uh, not to be funny, but just to tell you that how difficult it was. I spent 87 days on station in North Arabian Sea in the Persian Gulf. And that's almost a double beer day. If anybody, any sailors out there understand what I mean, after 45 days, they give you two beers. But after 90 days, they give you two more. <laughs> so at some point, you start cheering for the extra days because you think, I'm almost there. Well, we spent 97 days before we touched land again. And that created some pretty significant uh, stress upon some people. Back in those days, there was no email, no 
we did have a satellite phone, but it wasn't used for you know general conversation. So when someone would find out bad news from home, it was typically by the mail, the Pony Express that we called it. So some person got some bad news and there was a suicide watch and there was nowhere to go. Right? There's nowhere to go. you got to entertain them to keep them from thinking about things that are going on back home. Well, this particular person gets back home. He's had a known substance abuse issue. Right? He's had a known alcohol issue. He gets back home, and he proceeds to imbibe. And uh, he lived next door to another sailor who I served with. And uh, this gentleman came home and actually went to the wrong house, walked through the house, went to the back porch, and said, my neighbor stole my furniture because I see it next door at his house when it was actually his own house. So I got this, this particular gentleman is a good example because I had 18 sailors during my time on active duty go through alcohol and substance abuse counseling and rehab. And only one of them actually was retained. And it was this guy. And he, he became a substance abuse counselor after his service. And I think it was only because I spent so much time with him trying to explain to him that if he, you know, he was a great sailor, but he needed to clean up the, the off-duty stuff. Like you mentioned, David, that it's a, it's a constant. It's a constant. You can never, you're going to get a new batch. You're yeah. going to get new guys. I, I would like to expound upon that a little bit. I think, you know, one of the things when I first was in the military, you know, we're talking the early 90s, if someone had a problem, I think the military automatically said that's a, a problem child, right? That's what they call yes. it. Yes. Get rid of them. Yes. Chapter them out. Get yep. rid of them. Go, yep. go. We don't need it because all it's going to do is it's going to cause problems later on down the road. But the great thing that I saw, you know, especially at the end of my military career, they weren't throwing away people, right? They were, you know what? They have a problem that we need to help them solve. Don't just throw them out because they have a alcohol problem. We need to get them to a place where they can actually get help. And then let's see how well the soldier does after that point. But let's get them help first. It was reaffirming seeing that change in the culture of the Army, you know, especially the later, latter part of my career where they were helping people. That's a great segue because what we want to do is after we've discussed the parable and, and sort of how mm-hmm. it's affected our lives, our active duty lives, we want to apply this. So we hear a lot about help the troops, support the troops, support our veterans. Everybody wants to do that. I'm a firm believer that the Catholic Church is a great resource in that regard. So obviously your faith carried you through some very difficult times. How do we apply that to these circumstances? What can we do as faithful Catholics for our our brother uh, and sister Catholic veterans? What I'd like to do first is what's interesting about, you know, deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan is, is, uh, which I don't, you don't ever see in the States, is a true flock of sheep and a shepherd. That struck me. When I went to Iraq, there was sheep and shepherds everywhere. What's interesting about the shepherd is that he's there for the birth of the sheep. And the first person or sound, really, that that sheep hears, that lamb when it comes out, is the shepherd. And you can even put, you can go on YouTube and see these flocks of sheep that are out there, and people can call them all they want to. But the shepherd, when he calls to those sheep, guess what happens? They come running to him. I think God is that. God is our shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd, and he's calling us. He might not be calling us loudly. He might not give us a big slap on the back all the time, but he's calling us. And he especially, you know, he's calling the military. He really is. There's a lot of skills and capabilities that the military can bring, even to, you know, to the Catholic Church. Before we close out today, I just wanted to say that, you know, David was one of the, uh, the few uh, that attended our, uh, our session this year, our, our Catholic Veterans Retreat our Reconciling Veterans Retreat at the San Pedro Center. We had six people there. I want to thank you 
for being there. I want to thank you for your service. I want to thank you for what you do for our Catholic veterans. Well, I appreciate it. And I think that uh, hopefully we can get, you know, a good amount of people out the next next event. Another thing is people struggle with maybe what they've done in the war. And, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but I think that's okay. I think that's probably where we have our Catholic ideology that we know, well, something's not necessarily right or some things bad in war happen. But it, that's your Catholic faith also telling you that, you know what, you, it, it's it's okay to, to have to reconcile You have a this. conscience about it. You have it. a conscience about it, absolutely, And what right? Deacon Joe always says in his famous quote is, it's only you're only one confession away from being, you know, in the grace of, of Christ again. And I mean, look at St. Paul, right? I mean, look what St. Yeah, Paul did at the beginning of his life where, I mean, he persecuted Christians. St. Stephen. Right? My he guy. was part of St. Stephen, My probably guy. the first, right? My guy. The first martyr yeah. of the church. He, he was... He was there for that. Yeah. So, I mean, look at the, how, how much he changed. Well, anyway, it's been a pleasure today, sir. Thank you for joining me. Until next time, hopefully you'll think about this and how you can support our Catholic veterans. Shall we close with a prayer as well? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the strength of faith to share the good news with our fellow veterans. We pray that our discussions of the gospel parables told by your Son, Jesus Christ, may inspire veterans to seek the redemptive grace of their Catholic faith through participation in the Holy Mass and the sacraments. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. Let us know what you think about our podcast. Until next time, God bless you all, and God bless America.